Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Anything But Typical podcast. We have the Anything But Typical Roddy Player on as our guest, and I can't wait to hear more of his story. And we'll get into all of that and even how we met, which that's kind of fun. Thank you, Breck Bolton. But right. so, Roddy, here's the scenario. You are at your happy place going into your golf club up in the mountains of North Carolina, escaping the 100 degree heat that has been threatening us this week here in Charlotte. You are walking to the clubhouse. Somebody recognizes you. And they say, hey, that's that guy that's on the Queen City Appliance television commercials. That's Roddy Player, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and they start talking about you. But they don't realize that you can hear every word that they're saying about you. What is it that you would like to have somebody say about you? Well, Gary, I I think uh, the the most important thing that I like to hear somebody say is, boy, um, you know, that player family, they've done so much for the community of Charlotte, North Carolina and over their years. Uh, I know it's important to uh, the founder of the company was my my father and um, so I, I think that's that's the thing I like I like to be a part of that we've made a big contribution to the community. Our employees are contributors to the community, and um, and like I said, we've employed a lot of people over these seventy years we've been in business. And so um, I think that's the kind of thing I like to hear is what they've given back to the community and how much we participate in the community. I love that. So listeners. He didn't say seven and he didn't say 17. He said 70, seven, right. zero yeah. <laughs> years of yeah. business, which is an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, our um, 70th anniversary kicks off in July of this year. So we're going to have a big time. It, it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of, lot of great big promotions going on for the company. And so we're looking forward to kicking it off here just really a couple of weeks. That's very cool. So Roddy's now the, the CEO at Queen City Audio, Video, and Appliances. And Roddy, I want, I want to start where you kind of alluded to already, and, and that's the, the family dynamic of, of Queen City, right? So, so talk about the, your father starting it. Talk about the beginning times of, of the company. So really, um, you know, my dad uh, was uh, a young man, uh, was, was enlisted in, in World War II. Um, got out of boot camp uh, on Armistice Day, so they really didn't spend a whole lot of time over there. But he came back and they had some GI money, and uh, somebody had met in the service. Somebody or another called him up and says, "Hey, man, there's this uh, trade school uh, that's uh, new, new things coming out," and uh, invited him to go to uh, spend a couple of years in a actually just a trade school called United Television Laboratories, and and so they were the one of the first. Um, educational programs for service technicians uh, to begin the the begin which is a brand new industry in televisions. Uh, so this is nineteen, I guess nineteen fifty, I guess when televisions were really just uh, just beginning to come out, and and uh, they needed people to build them. So they were uh, running on factory lines, and they had they were service technicians that were troubleshooting product that was coming off the lines. Uh, so he went to as in Louisville, Kentucky, and then he got went to work in a Crosley Television uh, factory as a troubleshooter in Cincinnati after that. And then uh, came back to Charlotte and became a service technician, kind of an independent service technician. He and a couple of, a couple of other guys started this business called Queen City Television Service Company and uh, really just ran service calls out of a van 
fixing televisions really had no warranties back then uh, for TV. So, uh, and they weren't real reliable either, to be honest with you. But uh, so those, those manufacturers, they had, they had their own retail stores back in those days. The brands are all gone that you might think of, but, you know, even in a small town like downtown Charlotte, there were dozens of, of retail stores um, from these manufacturers. There's a manufacturer called Paramount TV and Munts TV and, and uh, uh, Packard Bell and, and uh, you know, all these different Crosley I mentioned earlier, uh, all these Magnavox, Sylvania, all these brands are all gone now. Um, but they needed guys like my father to, for servicing. So they'd go out with these, you know, replacing tubes and, and, uh, uh, and these TVs and, and uh, you know, for, for just really a pittance of a wage you think about today, they, they did a service call for eight or $10, I guess, back then, all, all out of a van, all in home. And uh, so he did have a little repair shop uh, on West 2nd Street, downtown Charlotte. And uh, he stayed there for, I guess, 10 to 15 years, probably more like 15 years, I guess. And the building was torn down in the probably early to mid 60s. I don't know exactly when they put that original Wachovia uh, was our first high rise tower at West 2nd Street and South Tryon. Um, so that building still standing there today, I believe it is, uh, was a white brick, a white concrete building. I was probably, I don't know, maybe 30 stories or something like that. They put yeah, that building on, right. top of his, on top of his property back in the 60s. Um, um, so, um, and then they um, had a couple of couple of stores downtown, um, but he got in the retail business. This is, this is an interesting story. We talk about, you know, our industry has always been about relationships. Um, so dad um, got a call from actually, you know, when you bought a TV back in those days, you could finance that purchase even then. So, you know, a TV, they were not cheap. You know, they're still probably five or $600 for a black and white 19 inch television back in those days. And so people would, would finance the purchase like a bank would finance a, a purchase. And so my dad got a call from uh, one of the banks back in the, in, in those days. And this is probably in the late fifties, I guess, maybe it's in the early sixties and said, look, uh, Mr. Player, Woody player was his name says, um, I've got, I've got a room full of TVs here, you know, dozens and dozens of TVs, maybe even hundreds of TVs that they had repossessed. Um, we don't know any, we don't know. We don't think they work because, you know, obviously if the TV breaks down, who's going to pay for it, right? Who's going to make their payments. So, uh, they break down and people would make their payments. And so the bank went and repossessed all of these TVs that we want you to come buy them from us. Uh, so just come make us an offer on those TVs. And so, you know, uh, dad didn't have any money back then. So he said, well, I'll go on over and take a look at it anyway. And so he convinced this guy at the bank to let him take, you know, 12 or 15 of them with him. So he would go pick up these TVs on Monday, repair them on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I guess. And then on Friday and Saturday, he put them on the showroom floor and, and sell them. And he said, but so his deal was he picked the TVs up and he'd bring them the, the money for the TVs that next week. So uh, he had a little bit of help. So he got trusted him, I guess. And so he would uh, he started starting the retail business that way back in, in, in those in those earlier days. So uh, then he figured out, well, you know, we can do this retail business, you know, um, um, and so the manufacturer started to wane at that point in time. And so um, um, there were distributors that came into the business back in those days. And they were generally wealthy families because they would acquire tremendous amounts of inventory. And then they would look at somebody like my father still, you know, hadn't, hadn't didn't have a lot of money at that point in time. And they would consign the product to them back in those days. And so as they sold it, they'd pay for it. 
So these distributors, you know, once again, uh, established a relationship with my dad. So then he got in the new television business back in, in those early 60s. And, and uh, once again, you know, the trust factor, you, you know, you, they put it on your floor and, you know, they sell it and you come in and get an inventory that next week and you pay them for what was sold. So um, this is, you know, I could say in the early 60s and, and uh, a lot of success there. It really started opening up stores. And I think uh, they opened up a store on uh, what was in Scaly Bark Road um, was the second store. And that was late 50s, early 60s, I guess, when they did that. And then another store on Independence Boulevard, I think, was somewhere around 1964. Uh, and these are all small shops, you know, maybe, you know, 2,000 square feet, 2,500 square feet, nothing but televisions back then. But then one of these one of these distributors uh, was in the appliance business, so they were a GE appliance distributor, uh, along with the TVs that Dad was already buying, and got them in the appliance business, selling GE appliances under the same kind of arrangements where they put these on the floor, and you know you, you would um, you'd sell it, and, and you didn't you didn't deliver those off the floor, so you'd order it to come in. You know they were local warehouses, had a warehouse over off of. Uh, you know, our, our up and come, up and coming Tuckaseegee uh, road area over there. Um, so um, a similar kind of business model, they'd sell it, go pick up the product of the warehouse, go deliver it to a customer, collect for it. And then they would, they would uh, get some terms on it and pay for it at that point in time. So uh, Walker Martin was the name of that distributorship. And uh, my dad had a great relationship with them, got an appliance business and, and then they're kind of off to the races at that point. They had, now they had a new sustainable kind of business model because back in those days, you know, you look around your house and in and, and the 60s, you know, dishwashers in homes, I bet the penetration wasn't 20% of the homes had dishwashers back in the mm -hmm. 60s. So um, there was such a growth industry back there. And it, and, and it was just something that um, took off and, and um, you know, everybody needed appliances as, as such a convenience, you know, that we, we had ranges and things like that. Refrigerators were still developing from, you know, from the old ice boxes uh, of the early days. And, and uh, mm -hmm. uh, so it was just, it was a developing industry that showed a lot of promise and helped us um, helped us grow our, our business and, and get started. And can you guys hear me? Okay. That's yeah. a little unstable. Uh, yep. Okay. No, you're good. 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 Yeah, good. yeah um, no, that's perfect. Thanks so yeah. So that part. Uh, yeah, I want to, mm -hmm. I want to focus on, on your piece of that a little bit. So growing up, as your father is founding this, he's, he's growing this, he's got all of these different things that, that he's, the business is evolving. What do you remember your experience as a kid of, of seeing him do that or being a part of the business as a kid, things like that? So, you know, I was, uh, I, you know, I still remember this day, I probably eight, or eight, seven, eight, nine years old, Saturday morning, trying to sleep in, knock on the door. Hey boy, what are you doing today? Uh, I'm going to go play golf, dad. Oh, heck no. You're not going to play golf. You're going to work. You're going to work with me. Uh, so he, he was dragging me into work on Saturday mornings when I was eight, nine years old. And, and, uh, you know, on the, on the, the thinking like I was going to go learn the business. Uh, but he wanted me to go clean his store. He wanted me to clean the bathroom, sweep the warehouse, you know, wipe down all the TVs and appliances in the store and stuff like that. So he's the reason I'm not playing on the PGA tour and I'm stuck playing with your buddy, Gary Breck. You know, I can't, uh, <laughs> I, I can't, I'm not on the PGA tour because dad wouldn't let me play as much golf as I wanted to on Saturdays. But, um, but it was a lot of fun. I, I really did enjoy that. I, I, uh, I, it was a lot of work and, um, but I was cleaning the, cleaning the stores up and then I go and then I do that in the mornings and after lunch, uh, of course, have lunch with dad and come back to the store. And then I listen to the salespeople on the floor in the afternoon 
afternoons and watching those guys was really interesting to me, uh, the way they sold the product and, and how they qualified customers and kind of went through and differentiate products and stuff like that. Because really back in those days, nobody knew anything about what they were buying. And so uh, that was a lot of fun for me back then and got to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, in my later years, when I was 16 years old, I guess we were on delivery trucks, um, you know, installing appliances and TVs and, and even putting up antennas. You know, we put up antennas back in the day that uh, we don't see those anymore. But, uh, you know, putting those old rotary antennas you used to spin around the top of the roof so you can get the signal pointing in the right direction or get it from the right direction on the antenna. Um, and, and then I uh, graduated high school and, and got my first chance to really participate on the sales floor. Uh, and then that was a whole different arena there because there was a quite a competitive environment back in those days among salespeople, you know, so there's a certain number of customers that come in the door. And so it was somewhat of a, uh, of a challenge to see who could get to the door first when a customer came in to, to wait on that customer and earn the, the commissions that might be, uh, available to you for, for each of those customers out there. And, and, and lots of, lots of interesting stories about that. I, 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 to this day, I remember a story where we had this guy work for us for gosh, 30 years. And um, he was always one that was always, he's one of these guys that's really it is, deep in the score. He's interested in trying to help me learn the business. Um, but at the end of the day, he's trying to make sure he, he got his piece of the, of the pie too. So he'd take me up to the front of the store. And back in those days, he was smoking a cigarette or whatever. You know, this goes back into the, um, I guess, into the early, uh, late 80s, I guess, early, late 80s, I guess. And, um, excuse me, early 80s. And uh, we'd be up there talking to stories. I was always listening, listening to the great stories. And he would see somebody uh, pull in a parking lot. He worked for us for so long. He knew everybody in the store. So everybody that came in the store asked for him. But if he didn't recognize him, um, he would kind of walk back towards the ashtray and, and the door would open up and he would turn and have, he'd have a step on me before he could get to the door. He'd get to the door faster than I could because he made that turn knowing. And, and everybody he didn't do that for, that I went, went to the door to greet him, they knew him. And so they'd asked for him. So I sat there twiddling my thumbs and couldn't get any customers up there, but I figured it out eventually and, and wound up how to, how to get in front of him a time or two during the day. <laughs> but, uh, but really what we always, always had somebody looking after me, trying to help, help me learn their part of the business. Um, uh, so I was real, real looking at, so I got to experience a lot of different parts of it, even in the early days, you know, even some of the clerical workers that my dad had working uh, back in those days. And, you know, back in those days, my, my father had a tremendous amount of, of customers that he carried the paper for, uh, that would come in and, and, and pay him by the week. You know, it may have been $5 a week or whatever back uh, in the early days. And so we had a team of, of, of clerical support to process payments and, and uh, you know, make calls for reminder payments and things like that when people uh, needed some reminders. And so uh, that that office work, you know, is always something that uh, somebody wanted to make sure I understood, you know, the different aspects of, of, of how it was all run. And, and uh, so real lucky back in those early days. And then when so you start seven, eight, nine, your, your dad's waking you up to go to go clean the stores. And then you talked about that evolution. <laughs> And yeah. then you go to college and you study business. Yeah. Was the yeah. goal and the idea to go study business, come back and get in the get in the the family business? Yeah. So yeah. So I had uh, you know some some things to kind of go through when I was in high school. I, I, you know, back in my high school days, I was uh, uh, I played the French horn. I was quite, I was fairly accomplished French horn musician, and my uh, my sister had been a musician, and so. Um, you know, you know, 
a lot of honors in, in, in those endeavors when I played. And so I entertained, you know, that, that is a career possibility, to be honest with you. Um, but um, just realized the opportunity in the company uh, was so great that I just couldn't pass up that opportunity and the, the, the things it might afford myself and, and my family to, to be. Um, so when I left high school, it, it was, it was going to be a business degree. I went to Wake Forest University and uh, uh, I was raised, raised a Baptist, in the Baptist church. And so uh, Wake Forest was a natural place to go back in those days, uh, which, which is, we had great experience there, great friendships, and was still able to participate in music programs up there a little bit. But uh, it was, it was well to not not my parents they needed help for sure but uh, I had decided that uh, back in 1980 when I left Charlotte to go to school that that was what I was going to do it's going to come back and, uh, and 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 get in the family business um, and it, it it worked out well they needed me back when I when it's time uh, so uh, I was real real uh, lucky to have made that decision so a couple quick observations. First of all, you said, you know, when you were eight and nine years old thinking, I'm going to go learn the business, but I'm getting put sweeping the shop floor and dusting <laughs> off stuff. Right. You were learning the business. Sure. That's, that's what's so interesting to me is like you were learning the business and sometimes the best business learning is starting at the ground level and learning every bit of that you know from the clerical stuff the sales guys you know the, the piranha effect of having to beat the other piranha to the door you know that's pretty funny yeah yeah um, so it, you know it, it but but it, but it gives you an appreciation for those that are working with you on in the company yeah that uh, you know you're making decisions that affect each and every one of them you know virtually every day and so you know, it's hard to, excuse me, it's easy for me to understand what they might be going through while we're making decisions and how it affects what they do, because I really have touched all the bases in the company. And, and uh, I don't know if you guys know or not, my son and daughter are in the business now, and they did a lot of that too. Uh, so when we get together and, and talk about things and it's, you know, how is there some kind of unintended consequence that might be out there before we decide to do this or do that. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was, um, it was well worth that time spent in those trenches, like you said. I think the one thing that I'm going to say is I would love to see you introduce the French horn into some of your television <laughs> commercials. I think that would be a memorable thing. I hear you. <laughs> uh, that'd be fun. I think you ought to think about it. There you, go. you do a really good job on those commercials and I'm not just blowing oh, smoke. You, yeah. Um, but there are a lot of people that fancy themselves as Dave who founded Wendy's and they're not nearly as good as Dave, but you are good. So. I, thank you. <laughs> so Roddy, as, as you keep going, right? So you're a VP of operations for 14 years and then you move into the CFO role. As you're making that transition to, to CFO, what, what are the things that you learned as VP of operations and even the stuff prior when you were in high school that you were able to apply as you're stepping into a higher level leadership position? So, um, so I, you know, I had a, a business degree uh, with, a, with a strong accounting uh, focus at, at Wake when I was there. Um, so, you know, at our core, uh, we're really a distribution business. We're moving product from one place to another. Um, we're, we're taking the product in to move it to a customer. So that operational aspect. So when I got out of school, you know, one of the, this is back, 
this is back before computers, guys, right? Before point of sale systems. And, and uh, so one of the first challenges that I was presented with was, was um, to automate the company. And so that's obviously how you automate your operations and, and all that kind of stuff. So, so I was went and did some research and went and took some tours of other facilities, talked to a bunch of dealers like ourselves that some of them were very centralized. Some of them were really decentralized. And we were really decentralized at those time at that point in time. And so to automate a company that's decentralized would, would be an enormous task. So uh, one of the first things we did was first of all, push the pause button on that automation system until we could centralize our operations. And so I built the, the operations network that we uh, put in place in the early nineties. This is before we put our point of sale systems in and really had a, got a lot of pleasure out of building that, to be honest with you, it was a lot of fun. It was uh, so the operating platform that we really we've changed it some over the years, but in, in essence, it's it's uh, we consolidate our operations, our purchasing, our uh, accounting functions, and all that kind of stuff. We're all centralized at that point in time, so that's where the operations experience came from. And so, it, if you're if you're doing all that work, then you know how it all is supposed to fit, and and how this how this is it feeds this, and this feeds that, and it all gets back to whatever. Um, so you, you have to dig in and know it all. And so that was a lot of fun for me. And it was really a lot of interest in, in the operations field. And then, um, you know, as, as the company grew, when you, if, you know, you, you can kind of constrain yourself if you don't uh, begin to let others do some of the, of the work uh, to grow the company. Uh, so kind of try to get out of some of that, um, uh, of those day-to-day -day operational things more into a, a higher level focus in the CFO role. And, and um, with the, you know, with the financial background, you know, we're getting to be a fairly large company and, and uh, revenue wise. And so the finance financial part of the company was going to be obviously very important for us too. So that CFO role started, you know, working with the banks and things like that and our relationships there and, and working with uh, different vendors and floor plan vendors and, and um, those type of things in that CFO role. So a lot of great experience in that role too. So I, I got a question for you about those transitions. So each one of those departments and functions within the company are very unique and different from, you know, the logistics part to the sales guys part to the back office support, support and um, all of that. And you, you had to learn all of those things. And what's interesting, like I didn't know this before this podcast that you were a French horn player. So you got some, <laughs> you got some right brain thinking going on there too. Um and normally, not always, but normally you don't think of right brain creative French horn players as CFOs, you know, necessarily. More you know, but, but musicians are typically uh, good math students. Oh, yeah, that makes so, sense. Yeah. They're, so in their heads, they're counting, they're 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 doing different things. I think um, not all of them, I guess I should say, but uh, I think uh, if, if you if there's real research out there, I would be surprised if they that didn't see sense. that musicians were, were good math students, I should say the ones that are counting in their head all the time and, and they're counting in twos and threes and fours and eights and sixes and, and whatever it may be out there. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, um, but I had, uh, I had some tremendous um, math teachers throughout my, my years of education locally here too. And, and uh, I was one of those kids who was kind of drug into some of the upper level classes. Um, I can, I can remember to this day that last, I guess my last two to maybe three years of high school there's about eight of us in our class at East Mecklenburg High School 
And uh, Miss, Miss Annie Pugh was, was our teacher's name there. And she pounded us with, with work. And, and um, I, I was, I was, you know, the bell curve, I was the other side of the bell curve, I guess, in that class. But, you know, it was a class where I think three of the kids went to MIT, one to RPI, one to Stanford. And uh, wow. just, just tremendous, tremendous students that, that, uh, that she produced. Uh, but it was always a great math program and that's in, at, uh, East McAvoy high school back in those days. And so, uh, I just, just, uh, it was, it was beat into me that I can tell you that, uh, uh, yet you had to do work every night for that, uh, for that lady. And I still respect the, the work that she worked at that she had to this day, but she, she made us work hard. And so I just, I, I'd had that, um, math ability early on and, and, um, and just was able to keep that going. Well, that's a blessing because that's oftentimes the downfall of business owners. And oftentimes it's the downfall of second generation business owners. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, What I'm hearing from your story so far, and we'll keep going, is you had an eagerness to learn. You had a humility that said, I want to, I'm not coming in as a privileged son, which I respect that tremendously. And, and you were learning all these parts of the business. And yet, you know, when I see you on commercials, I'm, and I talk to you, you're a great, you're just a gregarious uh, human connection guy. I mean, you're (laughs) more extroverted than introverted from what I see, Mm -hmm. um, which normally you'd go sales, you know, sales and marketing, right? Um, right? Of all these things that we've talked about so far and even moving up as Ben takes us through the rest of the journey. I hear an appreciation for all of these areas, but if you had like, you could just wave your wand and say, man, I would just love to spend more time in this function versus that function, just based on the way that you're created, what would that be? So we're in a unique period right now uh, with this pandemic. Um, And I have had a, 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 it's been incredibly difficult but I've gotten a lot of pleasure. We have been winning and winning big uh, from some of the decisions that we made in the last little bit. And, and uh, I've been hyperactive, super active in, in our purchasing functions, making sure we, we acquire as much inventory as we can, the right inventory. But uh, I've also, it's put us in a situation where we have become um, the source for, you know, not only Charlotte, but we've got customers that have come to us from up and down the Eastern seaboard uh, because we've put ourselves in an inventory position that, uh, that, that others were not able to, to get to in the pandemic. Um, and, and, and so this business development has been a ton of fun. Uh, we picked up a ton of new customers. Uh, and so I'm, I'm speaking with, um, I'm personally speaking with a lot of these, even if it's not my sales account, um, you know, I'm, I'm talking with a lot of these home builders in the marketplace that are building, you know, anywhere from starter homes to high end homes about, hey, what's going on? You know, talk to them about your supply chain problems. We're, we're you know, we're doing this to try and stay ahead of it in Charlotte. Um, we opened up a huge new warehouse, filled it up. And um, but but that's been a lot of fun. The conversations that I've had with people listening to where they're struggling in other areas. And, and uh, you know, we're, we've been determined to not be the ones that are slowing down that house construction. Uh, we've been the one to, you know, to be honest with you, uh, I, I had someone on the phone this the other day that was, uh, you know, so thankful that they'd found us to, to, to serve their, as a new customer for us. And had, had we not connected with them, she was a firm believer that they would have had, they would have lost 
half of their staff because they weren't going to be able to close homes. Um, and so uh, we were able to help them. Uh, their, their original supplier was, had just become unreliable, had gotten behind the curve on supply chain. And uh, so that's been a lot of fun with this, uh, uh, this business development part and being really active in acquiring the inventory that, that makes that part work. Uh, so it's become a 20 hour day job, but it's, it's been a lot of fun uh, in doing it all because, you know, we're working all day trying to find some new customers and still have capacity for more with what we're doing. But, um, but those two functions, I know you said one, but those are two that are interrelated uh, that I've had a lot of fun with. You know, it's um, dealing with manufacturers and, and, and uh, uh, trying to get more product, more than our fair share of it, I guess I should say, and making sure the product is flowing and and uh, that, that puts challenges on you to make sure your cash is flowing too, to make sure you can pay for it when, when it's time. And, uh, but this, this new customer acquisition, I really hadn't experienced this, to be honest with you, over the last you know, 40 years I've been doing this. But, um, but really, it's been fun to, to be able to have the confidence to go out and talk to these customers that, are, that I know are struggling and say, hey, we can be your source. We can take this off your plate because they have been spending so much time trying to chase down appliances and, and call their supplier and say, where is it? When's it coming? When's it coming? When's it coming? And that date goes past and they call them again. When's it coming now? You told me that last week, you know, and, and so we, we've become the reliable supplier for the marketplace. And uh, that's been a lot of fun, too. So. Ben, before you take and keep going through the progression, there's a really important part that you brought up that I wanted to get to anyway. So we're going to just stay on this theme a little bit. COVID hits March 2020. We're now in June 2022. World looks like it's stopping. You know, you've got overhead. Nobody's going into retail establishments. All kinds of crazy stuff's going on. Talk to us about some of the pivots, because it was hard. You, you guys had to make some pivots. What you saw that created the impetus to make some pivots and choices, because you said, you know, we were fortunate to make some wise choices. I want to hear a little bit more about yeah. how you did that. And even up to like when you when did you start seeing supply chain tightening as like it's it's in a death grip, it seems like now. Um, what did you see? What were some of the things? So if, if somebody's listening to this, they're going, oh, wow, this is the thought process process they went through. This is the pain they started observing or whatever. I'd just be curious your perspective on those pivots and even the supply chain pain, how you've, how you've navigated that. So, yeah, so... <laughs> You, you, you're, you're not the only one, first of all, that's having to deal with it, right? So um, I got my leadership team together and, and, and really you said March of 2020. I, I really believe that we sat down in January, maybe fe early February, you know, um, and thought about, um, you know, what's the worst case scenario should a pandemic, uh, uh, you know, hit, hit the world and, and how is that going to impact us? Because, you know, to be honest with you, we've got a lot of of our, of our products uh, come from overseas. And so, um, you know, I, I guess we saw it developing overseas before it was developing in, in the States here, but, but we, we decided the, the worst thing that could happen would be that we wouldn't be able to get inventory. So, you know, we decided that, that, uh, and then the, you know, what's the worst case, well, probably it's a six month window. We got to worry about, we just got to get through six months of, of this stuff and then we'll be fine. And so, um, you know, if you're going to go out and acquire all this inventory, what if the customers don't come? You got to pay for it. So, you know, we've got great, great banking partners. 
that I sat down with and said, Hey, here's what we're thinking. Um, our business had been, has been good for, for several years, but here's what we're thinking. We think we could be at risk here with, with inventory. So uh, got a commitment from the banks for lines of credit to support us should we have had a, a slowdown of inventory flow. Um, so that was in place. Uh, didn't expect to get any benefit uh, from something like uh, the PPE program, um, but that was a shot in the arm that, that uh, really, first of all, we didn't have to use our credit lines because we had that. Uh, it was a, an insurance policy, at, for lack of a better term. It gave us the confidence to continue to buy. Um, so then the problem was, well, we don't have warehouse space for it. So now what are we going to do? This, these orders are stacked up, uh, you know, in route to us, essentially, and our warehouse is filling up. And, and um, so went out and, and, and uh, found some ancillary warehouse space. Uh, talked to a fellow that's in the kind of the bonded distribution type business and, and said, look, you know, I'm not sure what this looks like yet, but, you know, you know, might be 5,000 square feet. Maybe it's 10,000 additional square feet. Um, so uh, he said, well, that's no problem. I'm in a space. It's a new building. I'm only using about a third of the space in this building and I can expand if I need to. So sure, bring it on. And, uh, and so we kind of set up a per square foot instead of a, a, a fixed space and a fixed rate. And, and, and then he uh, was able to, expand. And so at the end of the day, we had about 30,000 square feet of space that we were using full of inventory. Um, so that was a real blessing to us. And um, so, and, and really, and I had one of my stores that had some backroom space. We're putting inventory back in there too. So we really we're working out of three different warehouses and decided that was just getting too difficult and probably too much handling back and forth. And, and uh, probably saw, you know, just the consequence of that's maybe a little additional damage product. And so, but we decided that, um, uh, it was it was going longer than six months, and so uh, in late later 2020, we started realizing that man, we need to we need to go ahead and, and get some get some permanent a permanent warehouse space, and, and wound up finding a hundred thousand square foot, hundred four thousand square foot warehouse space down in the Westinghouse Boulevard corridor. Um, uh, signed a, a lease on that, and in, in, in late 20. 20, I guess, and uh, started shipping everything into there in early 2021 uh, and started delivering out of there. And Memorial Day was our first day to deliver that out of there in May of 2021. So, um, uh, so we were lucky, man. I'm telling you, we were just lucky we got out in front of it. Some of our competitors, to be honest with you, kind of went dormant um, and, and uh, never have recovered from that, to be honest with you. Uh, because it, it was, it's impossible to catch up right now. Even still, it's impossible to catch up. Um, but it's, it's not hard to stay ahead, I guess I should say, because we've got, you know, enough inventory that we've got, you know, enough supply that if, should we have some shipments slow down, we've got inventory to rely on. But uh, if I were trying to catch up today, it would be virtually impossible because there's just not enough product flow, but staying ahead is a whole different, different, different story. Um, so we made, a, we were real lucky. I've got a great team. Uh, uh, the leadership team that we've got and, and the marketing team was part of it, our, our GM and operations. And, um, and, and obviously my, my daughter's in our finance group at that time. I was involved in discussions too. And, and uh, it, it, was not only worst case scenario, but much, much worse and much, much longer than any of us thought. And it's been like whack-a-mole. You know, you think it's 
Um, it's just, first of all, they can't manufacture anything. So you, you think about it, I, I, you know, you, you got a manufacturer line, just making up numbers, maybe 60 feet long and you're, you're making washing machines out of there and everybody's right next to each other working side by side. Well, the factories are going there and have to spread everybody out. So now that 60 foot line has to become a hundred foot line. And so they shut it down, stop producing, stretch everybody out, which slows that line down too. So that's what happened to capacity. So they you know, we probably, the industry probably lost about 40 to maybe even 50% of their capacity when they were modifying these factories to spread the workers uh, to hopefully slow the spread of, of COVID or eliminate the spread of COVID. Um, and that was before we had uh, component part shortages like microchips. And, you know, you, you think it's just the pandemic. The other thing that hit us was that, that winter storm in Texas that tore that grid down um whatever they make down there there's chemicals that come out of texas that that are involved in making foam and foam insulation and refrigerators and and there's some resin that comes out of there for plastic tubs and dishwashers and refrigerator liners and so that was another another um negative uh headwind that, that affected our industry too that type of thing and 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 then the, the microchip shortage i don't believe that was necessarily pandemic related that that started with a uh, an economic consequence, first of all, when, when automobiles slowed down back in 19, I guess, whatever, whatever caused that slowdown, the, the chip manufacturers tapped the brakes on manufacturing. And then there was some fire at a microchip plant somewhere. And so they've never caught it from that. Um, so uh, and then all of a sudden the pandemic hits, everybody's staying at home. Uh, they're working on their homes and demand for appliances goes through the roof because they're trying to improve their homes. Um, and and uh, <laughs> And, and this home building market's gone through the roof. Um, so it's been a, a perfect storm of a lot of negatives, but then a lot of positives too for our industry, at least. So we've been one of the essential businesses. We were essential from the very beginning. Uh, I knock on wood every day about that part of it. I remember putting notes in our automobiles that we were driving back and forth to work. And, and uh, I guess the probably the fall of, of uh, 2020 uh, when, we weren't supposed to be out of our houses. Right. And so our people had notes in their cars to go to work in the warehouse, to go to work in the stores because people, you know, they need to wash machines, they need refrigerators, they need dishwashers and, and cooking appliances. So we were essential, thankfully. And um, um, so we were, we were lucky in those decisions that we made uh, as a group really paid off for us. And, and to this day, we're, we've got, a, we've got a new operating platform, this warehouse that we've expanded on and expanded our service territory, expanded our markets. Uh, we we've opened up uh, operations in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we're uh, just signed a lease on a new, new store in Winston Salem. And uh, it's just, it's just opened up our eyes to some things that we never knew we had the capacity to do uh, that have, have uh, just, just put us in a position to really capture more and more market share. All right, I'm, I'm going to interrupt one more time, and then Ben, I promise you have it. Okay, no, nope, don't worry about it. <laughs> but this is this is nice. I get to sit back and enjoy it for a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. But so you you said a couple times, we, well, we were really lucky. We made some decisions, and I I go timeout. You did some very intentional and very wise things early on, which was you you saw rumblings across the pond, January February before we hit the brakes here in March. Well, that's, that's important. The other thing that I think is really critical is you brought your team together versus I'm the, the great white hope. I'm going to, I am the man and, and I have the plans from on high. 
do this. No, you didn't do that. You, you have, I hear collaboration and I heard, heard that not only with your team, but you also went to the financing arms. Who else in the supply chain, if you will, of what you do, do we, would, would this impact? So line of credit, you know, those kind of things. So yeah, the, the more you plan and the more you involve other people, the more lucky you get, I suppose. But yeah, um, yeah, you create you your own really luck. wise choices. Yeah, you do create your own luck. And so you talk about intentionality and, and uh, you know, the business exploded and, and, and you know, we, we doubled our business from 2020 to 2022. And, um, and, 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 it, and it's been, an, an, it's taken an incredible toil on our, on our people, to be honest with you. Um, we were, first of all, we we're thankful that we, we had jobs. A lot of people didn't. Um, and, and, the the work that everybody put in the, I'm telling you, phones are ringing off the hook. Our, our e-commerce is blowing up. We can't keep up with the chat function. Um, we've got orders coming in from people who don't want to come into the stores, um, all, all kinds of, it's just, we just couldn't find enough people to do the work. And so, um, and that's still a problem today. I went, I, I walked by our break room one day and I got, a, I got a, some really s- tremendous, um, you know, uh, sales, sales guys. And we, we, uh, that, um, that are really dedicated to customers. They do a great job. They're super efficient. They're, they're level headed and low keyed and, um, work hard. And I went in the break room, I walked by the break room one day and, and this sales guy's got his head in his hands and it's like, he, he just didn't know what he's going to do. He's just overwhelmed with what's going on. I thought to myself, man, we're, we're killing these people. And so, we, uh, we, we, we cut our store hours back a little bit, uh, adjusted our store hours, um, trying to put it in, in a situation where we can manage it and, and, and taking a look at some schedules. And, you know, we had never taken the July 4th off before. Um, uh, it fell on a Sunday or something like that, or maybe it was on a, on a Saturday. So we took a couple of day break and, and let everybody try and catch up. Um, but, but um, it, you know, it's, it, we, we just been super fortunate because the people stuck with us through it all um, and, and uh, have not left. And since then we we've, we've hired a, you know, a recruiting uh, individual to do some recruiting for us. And so we really have staffed up dramatically in the last um, six months, um, which is, which has uh, helped us um, continue to grow our business. Um, so our sales per employee, our sales per uh, has doubled um, essentially too. So we've tried to make things more efficient for them. You know, at one point in time, it was, I, I could find some sales support individuals. Um, uh, so we were, we were able to bring in some uh, clerical support, I guess, at the stores instead of the salespeople who always did that paperwork themselves and things like that. But, but uh, it's always under review, you know, what, what do we do next? How do, how do we get better? Um, if we see a roadblock and I guess that gets back to that operations experience I had, it's about processes. You know, if your processes are set up right, you, you can be super efficient and you can grow. But if you got a bad process, it'll trip you every time and you'll, you'll find yourself and you're constrained at some choke point and you got to get it out of the, of the system somehow or another. So that's where that operations experience has, has led me to believe that a process will work across many different platforms, I, I guess, in the day. So making sure everybody understands what they are so they, they uh, fit in. The, so they make their work fit into the process because, you know, all of us, 
we hand work off to others in, that, in our network. So, you know, the marketing team brings customers in, the customers are handled by the salespeople, turn over to operations, they turn over to logistics. And, and so everybody's got to do their work. And if everybody understands the process, then we can do it efficiently and not get tripped up in the process. And then you're, you're losing efficiency and not as profitable and, and, and things like that. So, Roddy, a lot of the stuff you're, you're talking about, I, w- I want to elaborate as we get back to your journey, right? So after the, the CFO, the stuff you've been talking about here for probably the last 15, 20 minutes is time when you were the CEO and still are, but when you were the CEO of the company, right? So the leadership aspect of that and the roles and responsibilities are very different from going to a CFO to a CEO. So talk about um, struggles or hurdles or difficulties that you faced making that transition as you had to shift what your responsibilities and roles were in the company from CFO to CEO? So um, I, I guess, you know, the, the, the CEO, CEO role came about. My brother's in the business for a, few, for a lot of years too and, 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 and left the business about 2008 and, and took over the CEO role. Um, and then um, as timing, time would have it, you know, here comes the recession. You know, once again, our business was exploding. Uh, we had 16 stores. Uh, you know, revenue was 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 tremendous, and then all of a sudden, the the recession hit us. And when I took over that CEO role, and and uh, lost, like I say, we lost 70 percent of our revenue. Was gone in about 12 months. And and uh, you talked about the overhead earlier. It wasn't gone. Uh, we tried to, to to make as many moves as fast as we could. But you know, when, when you've got a heart, it's it's hard to um, to get rid of as many people as you need to. Um, you, you know, it's it's um, as a business owner, I guess you know you're always um, optimistic about things. You're optimistic about the future, and so you're thinking, oh, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And there was nothing to indicate it's going to get better, except it was just so bad. It had to get better eventually. Um, so, you know, that was, you know, a, a tremendously difficult time to, to be in that role. And so, so many other things you had to deal with other than just, you know, trying to lead the company. Um, it was, um, the, the timing was, was unfortunate. Um, I say unfortunate. It, it, you know, we, we got through it, uh, not without difficulties and not without tremendous challenges and, and uh, some adversarial uh, things, too, that we had to fight through. But um, uh, but it was it was, uh, you know, trial by, you know, learn by fire, I guess you're trying to uh, to make sure you put out all the fires that you can and, and still try and figure out a way to grow the business when and resources that dried up. And and so how do you how do you grow your business with limited resources at that point in time? Except that, you know, we had we had tremendous customers that stuck with us. We had tremendous suppliers that stuck with us and uh, and, and our employees stuck with us, too. I mean, that's something that um, those are the three legs of the, tri- of the, of the tripod, I, of the stool, I guess, that uh, without those three, you know, if one of those three had failed, then, then we would have been in, in deep, deep trouble. But, um, you know, it's. Uh, we're not bashful to talk about that. We had to restructure the business um, at 16 stores at that point in time and 200, over 200 employees trying to find more employees and uh, lose 70% of your business and, and wind up um, backing down to, I guess it was um, uh, four stores. I, I guess we backed down to um, lost 70% of our revenue and, and uh, had to cut, you know, we wound up cutting, I guess, 130 at a, at a 200, 200 employees back at that time. And how, how miserable that was to try and deal with all that. But uh, at the end of the day, we were, we were able to fix the business and uh, 
um, and, and turn, turn back to profitability in just a couple of years. And, and uh, since then have, have really been lucky to, you know, you know, we all know we're so lucky to live in the Charlotte market. You know, Charlotte is such a tremendous place, such a vibrant place, uh, except for those couple of couple of three years around that 2008, nine and 10 timeframe. And, and uh, even now, you know, we're, we're, you're hearing hearing the word of, of talk about a recession in the in the country, but there's there's a couple of three markets, Charlotte being one of them, um, Nashville and I guess Austin, Texas, are, are markets that seem to be uh, way ahead of the curve as far as growth and and uh, and will most likely sustain uh, some level of growth, maybe not quite as high level of growth, but uh, I, I don't see this market turning backwards anytime soon. Um, and, um, so we're real lucky to be here in this marketplace. And so last, I guess the last 12 years has been a tremendous, uh, experience for us to grow the business back to, to record revenues on, uh, on tremendous, on a tremendous operating platform. Really, it's been fun. And you had alluded earlier also to, um, having your kids in, the business, right? So this is now becoming the, a third generation company, which right. is quite amazing, right? right. Um, talk about that experience of being able to have them be a part of, of all of this. So, you know, to be honest with you, it's been something it's, that I've thought about for, you know, decades, to be honest with you. Um, you know, my son is 31, daughter's going to be 29, I guess, in, in uh, November this year. And, and so, but it's been something I've thought about for a long time uh, about the, about keep it in family, um, so making sure that um, that they, you know, you said weren't the entitled son, I guess, earlier, um, you know, we want to make sure that they, that they had an understanding. And I tell you what, back in those tough times, they were old enough to understand what I was going through. Um, so um, they they, um, they still they they learned from that, too, to be honest with you. So they're. They are um, very grounded children. They're, they're uh, kids. I should say children. They're, they're very grounded. They're very, they're conservative in their, in their, their thoughts and their, um, the way they do things. Um, so that was in itself a learning experience to have to deal with that. Um, uh, one of them was in college and one of them was in high school when all that, when, when that recession hit us and they saw the fight that we were, that we were in to hold on the business and, and keep our business going. And, and so they learned a lot about that, but, um, part of my studies and, 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 and learnings about family businesses is that, you know, probably the worst thing in the world to do is what I did is come straight to work for your family out of school. Um, um, they, the consultants will always tell you, let them, let your kids go out and do something else for, you know, four or five years, let them, let them go out and make their mistakes somewhere else. Let them, let them prove themselves and, and show some success somewhere. And so, you know, that was something that was a challenge for me. I didn't want to do that. Um, but I did, my, you know, my son, you know, got a college, uh, out of college, got a job and, uh, he was a marketing student. Um, got a, got a job out right out of college and, uh, uh, and, and spent, um, really, I guess he was out of the business for, I guess, probably eight, uh, seven or eight years. I uh, wound up being a digital marketing sales manager for a, for a media company here in Charlotte and uh, had a lot of success. Um, my daughter was was uh, a finance major and, and uh, she um, got a job in Winston-Salem. She went to Wake Forest. Both of them went to Wake Forest and she got a job and stayed in Winston-Salem for a couple, three years. And uh, my county manager started hinting around at retirement and uh, she forgot to give me that five-year notice on retirement. Um, but, you know, when we sit down with Kate and at, at holiday dinners, when, when she come home to Charlotte and talk about what she was doing, she was 
working in the, the CFO's office and, and uh, working in corporate finance and, and uh, the things that she was doing, you know, sounded a lot like what we needed uh, and my accounting leader was doing back then. And so um, brought her in first, actually. So she worked for about three years outside, um, but I had a role for her. That's the other challenge when you've got a family business. You know, what role do your kids come into? Um, there may not be a role for them. So what do they just kind of hang around and be a nuisance to everybody? Um, but um, uh, this role for Kate, she was able to spend three or four months with my accounting manager and, and it's been a real successful um, indoctrination for her. And so I guess it's been I guess it's been three, three or maybe four years now that she's been uh, and it just promoted her to the, to the uh, controller position. So um, uh, real excited about that. And, and uh, we hadn't announced that publicly yet, but uh, we intend to shortly. Um, so and then my son, uh, you know, once again, in the family business, you got to you can't be specialized. Right. You got to know a little bit about everything in the business. So he's a marketing uh, guy, a sales and marketing person. Uh, obviously, it's important to our business, but uh, I have sales leaders and store managers and things like that. But what when we started um, thinking about this new warehouse platform and operating platform, I said, well, shoot, I needed him to go help set that up operationally. So he's in operations right now trying to help us build out this operating platform that we're under now. And so he's got that same understanding that I had back in the 90s from an operational perspective. So this is kind of his platform that we're operating under. Uh, and so he knows the ins and outs of and how each function interacts to make sure that we have an efficient operation. So, you know, he's kind of a, you know, out of his wheelhouse right now. Uh, but he's certainly learning something. He's doing a great job in operations there. So um, that's been a learning experience for him, you know, a, a fish out of water to say, but um, it's, uh, it's, it's worked out real well. He's got a great understanding and, and he's earned a tremendous amount of respect, I think, with the, uh, the sales organization, with the uh, logistics organization and, and uh, really the whole company based on what he's doing. Uh, he's kind of at, that, at the, the tip of the sword where sales and operations meet, which is never good. <laughs> Any of us that have been in a, in a sales organization that has operations, they're always fighting each other, right? Sales is overcommitted and operations has no possibility to do what sales is asking them to do. And so he's right there trying to balance that and make sure that we can you know, uh, take care of our customers in the manner that we want them to be taken care of. So we've been real lucky there too. Yeah, the tip of the spear, the, the danger is you get poked. <laughs> <laughs> he does, yeah. He's catching it from all sides. He really is, but he's a tough kid. Um, he's, he is catching it from all sides, and uh, he's doing that. And also trying to help raise a, a new grandbaby that we've got. So, uh, oh, how cool. Yeah, it's fun. So he, he's, got, he's got a lot on him right now, and, and uh, his, his wife's works. He's, he's got a nice, nice job, and so uh, he's got a lot on his plate, too. But uh, yeah, at an eight month old, eight month old baby. So uh, that's been a lot of fun. So Roddy, as we get towards the end here, we've, we've been able to take everybody through your journey. Some of the things you guys have had to do, the multiple pivots you've had to make, which, right, which is quite amazing. Um, I want to, I want to finish up, get your thoughts a little bit on the evolution of the retail industry in general, right? Because we're seeing is, and I think uh, COVID has, has spurred a lot of this as well, but the, the difference between uh, physical locations versus online, things like that. So I've got a few questions on that, but I want, I'll start with a really broad one. We can go from there of just where do you see the, the retail industry going? What do you see that future evolving into? So it's funny that, you know, if you had asked this question five years ago, you know, the industry would say we're at risk 
you know, online is going to take over and, and run us all out of business. Uh, thank goodness we're not selling shoes and apparel because, you know, that that's those are those are things you can put in the mail or, or UPS, small package uh, kind of business. Um, but the guy in the brown truck and the guy in the, in the um, red, white and blue trucks, they can't they can't deliver washing machines. They can't deliver refrigerators they are too heavy, they're too bulky. So, you know, I was never a believer in the fact that our industry would be that impacted by online, the distribution side of it. Remember I talked about, that's what we are really. We're a distribution company uh, right. with the sales arm and a, and a marketing arm, but we're in this distribution. That's the hard part. That is the hard part, the hardest part of it. And so uh, nobody likes that part of it, but we're good at it. We excel at it. We don't mind, uh, we don't mind, um, you know, it doesn't always go perfect, but we know how to handle it when, it, when, it, when something might go awry, but we're not afraid of it. And uh, so, um, you know, there, there may have been a high point of 10 or 11% of the industry may have gone into the into online, but now, you know, I think the pandemic changed our shopping habits, but what we were seeing was, while you said people didn't want to go to the retail stores because of COVID, they didn't, but they were online with us. So these were our customers that were on our website, uh, looking at things, uh, calling us while they were online, talking to our salespeople about this and that and the other. Um, maybe they didn't want to come in store, but our salespeople could kind of talk them through the process, you know, well, you know, enter this in your search bar and this, you know, look at this model here, look at that model there. So we were assisting our customers with that online purchase. Uh, well, it's, it was really an in-store purchase that with an online assist, I guess I should say. So, um, but the pandemic also brought customers back to local companies. Uh, so everybody understood the fight that we were in. They understood the fight that the restaurants were in. And, and, and I can't tell you how many times, you know, we went to go pick up food at restaurants to support the restaurant guys. You know, we, we wanted them to, to stay around and be around. So we were determined to go out and, 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 and over tip, you know, I, 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 I'm ashamed to say that I was never a generous tipper back in my, in my younger days, but, you know, today, you know, I'd like to think that I'm, I'm, I'm more generous than I, than I, than I used to be. Um, but uh, so, uh, the independent appliance dealers and electronics dealers like ourselves have actually grown market share uh, over the last three years because of the pandemic, because of, of the local, the shop local mentality that's come back around. Um, and I got to say the young people, the, the, the millennials, everybody wants to complain about the millennials. They are loyal and, and they and they want to be contributors to their local economies when they can, I think. And so um, that, that's been something that, that's been good to us. Um, you know, the, the local, the local shop local whenever you can. I'll never ask anybody to pay a nickel more to me than I would any other national company or anybody else. We'll never be above market price. We should frequently be below market price because we're better buyers than anybody else is. Uh, we feel like we've got better operations that, that uh, will help us be more efficient. So we should be uh, a lower price than, than, than anybody else should be in the marketplace. But that's hard for people to understand. But I, I don't question any online price from anybody anywhere in the country, a national. Um, you know, we'll never be above a market, whatever that market price is. And, and like I say, our, our, we're frequently below. So um, so it, it's the, the silver lining of it all is that, that um the, the, local, the locals have, have never left us. A, a lot of the newcomers have sought us out. Uh, a lot of the, the people who used to shop at nationals, you know, if you, if you get from your house, if you drive to one of my stores, you got to go past, you know, five or six home improvement stores, you know. Yep. Uh, yep. I've, got, I've got 104 competitors in my marketplace where I've got six stores at, at the end of the day. And so to get people to drive past 
five or six of those home improvement stores to get to my stores. We've got to have a compelling reason for them to do that, really. And, and it's that our, that our people in the stores are going to give you an experience that you can't get at, at that big box store. They're going to help you find the right products. They're going to make sure it's not it's the right price. And, and uh, they're going to they're going to answer your questions, you know, that, that, that and people when they come in, when you're shopping online, you really don't see what's out there. It's, it's a small window that you see online of just what's on your screen. But when you come into and, and it is, it, that's based on maybe what your ask was in your search bar. Uh, but when you come into a store like ours, you're going to see a lot more product. You're going to have a wealth of information, of pertinent questions, not questions you think you want to ask. But we're going to ask you questions to help help discover what's the right product for you. So we're trying to it, it's we hope that it's a, that you feel like it's a collaborative experience instead of a sales experience. You know, we're asking you questions to help you decide what you need instead of we're trying to ask you questions so we can figure out what to sell you. You know, that, that doesn't do us any good. If we say something that's not right, uh, you know, we, we, we want to explore things to make sure that the product benefits you like, like, it, like we think it should. But uh, part of our, you know, we, we built a strategic plan over the last, last six months. And, and part of it is to create this collaborative, a collaborative environment. So our customers come in and are working together with us to find the right product for them instead of being sold, sold a product, if, if that makes sense. That's exactly the description and how my neighbor who bought a whole new kitchen full of stuff as they redid their kitchen during the pandemic. Um, that's yeah. exactly what he described. Cause I said, where'd you get your stuff? And it was high end stuff. You know, he's got a very nice house and he goes, Oh, Queen city, they were the best. And he said, and, and he's also, uh, you know, he, he's price conscious too. He's not, a penny pincher, but he's price conscious. Mm -hmm. And he's like, they were better than, than the big box stores. And he goes, the service was amazing. And good. I said, wow, good that's good. really cool. All right. well, hopefully he left a good review for us too. <laughs> I'll make sure I'll ask him. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, we, 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 we've been, we've been so lucky really have, but um well, Righty, this sounds to me like it's yeah. You, you, I appreciate the humility in saying that. <laughs> I really do, Roddy. And for anybody that doesn't know Roddy Player, um, he is a he is the real deal. He's a humble soul. <laughs> well, thank you, and, thank you for that. And I really appreciate that about you. And I also appreciate the the fact that you love this city that I love so much. And you're oh, native, and I'm not. But yeah. um, so thank you for taking time to be with us, Roddy. Man. With all the stuff you got going on, especially if you've got 100% growth, you've doubled in yeah. the last two years, which think about that. You're in business for 68 years before you doubled it again. Now you're at I'm, 70 years, which is really, that's an unbelievable thing. And you've been through, you know, the Great Recession, which that was no fun for anybody. Right. So. I really appreciate your story. I think it's going to resonate. A lot of things are going to resonate with a lot of people. Well, yeah, well, you can't do it without people. You really can't. So we're, we're blessed to have a lot of great people and a lot of great minds in the company. And uh, like I said, you know, the, the three things are customers, our suppliers and our people are what make us. And uh, all three are, uh, are super, super strong and super valuable. And, and uh, we, we work on them every day. So 
Roddy, we'll send people to uh, to the website, and if they want to connect to you, we'll we'll send them sure. to uh, to LinkedIn sure. as well. Any any right. final thoughts you want to say, or anything else you want the listeners to uh, to hear before we sign off? No, yeah, man, I appreciate the opportunity to to um, to sit down with you guys and talk. And and um, I was, it's um, this business is is important to us. It's we 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 hope it's important to the Charlotte market uh, and the Carolinas market. I keep saying Charlotte, but Charlotte is much much bigger than than the city limits. That's for sure. And, and, and so we uh, we love this this these these this market that we're in, and um, you know they can visit us at queencityonline.com uh, is our website, and uh, like you said, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn if they like to have any questions or. Um, but uh, we're we're so pleased to, to have accomplished what we've accomplished over these last seventy years, and so look out for July and August. You're going to see a lot of fun stuff as we celebrate. All right, our cool. Anniversary. You bet. That's great. That's really Perfect. cool. Thanks, Roddy. You bet. Thanks, guys.